This is episode number 77 of the Paleo Women Podcast. Welcome to the Paleo Women Podcast. I'm your co-host, Noelle Tarr, a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. And with me is my partner in crime, Stephanie Ruper, author of the best-selling book, Sexy by Nature. This show is the place to be if you're a fan of moderately amusing banter and uninhibited real talk relating to health, nutrition, fitness, body image, and just about everything in between. While hanging out with us, please remember the information on this podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material and should not be used in place of medical advice or treatment. Now, let's have some fun. Hey, Stephanie. Noelle, I have really great news. Do you? I do. So I'm staying with one of my best friends currently. And last night she was like, is it kind of weird? Is it weird for me to think it's weird that you freeze apples and then eat them? (laughs) And I was like, no, most people think it's weird that I freeze apples and then eat them frozen. Yeah. But it's amazing. And it would be terrible if you missed out on this. And she was like, I trust you enough. Lord knows why. I trust you enough that I will I will try this. So she froze an apple overnight and she ate it today and she just sent me a message in all caps talking about how her life has been changed forever because she now knows about the magic of eating frozen apples. Can I okay, clarify for me. Do you just put the whole apple frozen or do you slice it up? Yeah. No, I don't cut it up. I don't have time for any <laughs> I don't have time for cutlery. Wow. Yeah. You didn't introduce me to that when you're staying with me. No. Does this mean we're not real besties? No, I just, I try to keep the crazy, okay. you know, in its box. Also, well, it's summertime <laughs> it's here box. and it's oh, really hot. And so yeah. frozen, I'm like all about eating frozen stuff when it's really hot. Up. Wow. Do you freeze any other fruit and eat it like that? Uh, everything. <laughs> okay. But, but apples mostly, but I'll freeze other things too. Um, and normally, I mean, most fruits come frozen. You can get them frozen. Yeah. You know? Not apples. Not apples. <laughs> you know what doesn't freeze well is like peaches and plums. Yeah. Those don't freeze well. But pears are great, too. Oh, so good. The texture of frozen pears, unparalleled. Mm. <laughs> anyway. Sounds tasty. What's going on with you and Boston and dancing? Anything new? Uh, I'm on my way to New York City to spend the weekend dancing. Who wants to go to New York City? Well, you know, (laughs) I've waited four years of dancing to go dance in New York because I wanted to wait till I was like ready. Mm. I think I might be ready now. Wait, have you never danced salsa in New York City or anything? Not really. There have been like events, but I've never just gone on a regular day. Interesting. That's super exciting. Yeah, I'm stoked. Huh. I when I when I move to Philly, I'm gonna be super close to New York City. So I'm gonna try to go more often just for like, you know, a night trip or whatever. We're, I need to find a friend that lives in in, in Manhattan. <laughs> if yeah, you, you want, do. uh tweet me and and then I can actually have a cheap place to stay. But we found relatively easy you know, I don't know, I mean, not too expensive. If you, there's some good spots on on off weekends that you can you can get some cheap housing, but yeah, I'd like to go more. I wish you lived in the United States of America so that you, we could like meet halfway because I feel like you could come to New York City and it wouldn't be that far. If I you know. Lived in Boston. Life is so hard. Yeah. 
I regret nothing more than not being able to be in two places at once. Being in London's pretty cool, though, so I'll give that to you. It's pretty cool, and I do regret things more, like suffering and evil. But third, tertiary to suffering and evil would be uh, not being able to be in two places at once. Okay. <laughs> My greatest regrets. Dissertation, is that coming along? Nope. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> nope. I haven't worked on it in like six weeks. Because dancing. Because I'm, well, no, well, because I've been working on the perfect follow blog, you oh, know, okay. and um, traveling and just all of the things keep coming up. You know, you said last week we're running around with our heads cut off and that sounds yes. about right. Special plug there, theperfectfollow.com, Stephanie's new website. Go check it out. You're so nice. I, I can't know. believe how nice you are. <laughs> this is my Thank job. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nothing new over here. We're still sitting in uh, squatting at my parents' house. <laughs> Super exciting. Really excited to get to Philly. I really want to get on with the podcast because we have a super special guest. This is the Paleo Women and Men podcast today. Uh, we have Russ Crandall on, which we hinted at on our Instagram page. A lot of people were really excited. So I'm going to quickly introduce him. He is the author of The Ancestral Table and the New York Times bestselling book, Paleo Takeout, which is amazing and beautiful. Russ transitioned into a paleo diet in 2010 after going through some major health issues, including being diagnosed with a rare autoimmune condition. Since then, he's been publishing new paleo-friendly recipes weekly over at the Domain domesticman.com and his recipes have been featured in numerous publications including people magazine the huffington post buzzfeed and mashable his food is amazing his heart is amazing and he's a much needed thought leader in the paleo community welcome russ crandall hi that is quite an intro i know wow you're like my hype man i need okay. you to like for like job interview russ crandall come on like, <laughs> can i just add can I just add that I think Russ is amazing, and I think Russ is probably embarrassed by how often I talk about how what a remarkable a human lot. being he is. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 cool. I like it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Just honest. Just being honest. Yeah, uh, Russ. I'm going to have to say more than once on this podcast we have talked about how we are Team Russ. Oh so, my goodness. Yeah. I'm going to have to listen to all the back issues now. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're not. <laughs> Yeah, and I forgot to add, you also have a full-time job in the Navy as a Master Chief, so that's that's a very real thing as well. Yeah, that's my uh, that's my sidekick. Yeah. But uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. It's yeah, kind of cool. We're super excited to have you. It was good to see you at Paleo FX. We missed Steph, but it was nice yeah. to catch up with you. Thank you. Yeah, it was yeah. cool. Yeah, so why don't you give us a little bit of background about you, just because I think a lot of our listeners aren't going to be as familiar as we are with you. So why don't you give a little bit of background on, on you, how you found paleo, and then kind of anything you want to share that you're working on lately, and then we'll get into questions. Sure. Um, so it started about, gosh, 11 years ago now. Um, I was at home doing homework, just a normal day, and uh, I had a stroke uh, just in the middle of nowhere, and I lost all function on my left side of the body. And so it took me about a day to even go into the hospital because I thought I could just like sleep it off and that didn't work. And mm -hmm. so I ended up going into the hospital and they're like, yeah, you had a stroke. And um, they really didn't know why it had happened. Uh, but they just said, well, we'll just start physical therapy and try to get your uh, left-sided weakness, you know, back in track. And so uh, about six months later, you know, I, uh, I got back to normal. Um, 
no one could really tell that I'd had a stroke, you know, and for a while it was rough. You know, I had to, I'm left-handed, so I had to learn how to like write again and I had to walk with a cane for a couple months. Um, but I, I figured it all out and, um, you know, just kind of bounced back and thought, well, that's just a weird thing that happened, you know? And so, uh, about a year after that, uh, things got worse again. So I, I started getting out of breath all the time, uh, to the point where like just standing up was getting me out of breath. And so went back to the doctor and they, they freaked out and, uh, I ended up living in a hospital for about a month, um, just getting like poked and prodded any way you can think of, you know, and they finally figured out that I was having some sort of inflammation in my pulmonary artery that was basically disrupting blood flow into, into and from my lungs and all that stuff. And so, um, they put me on a high dose of uh, steroids and immunosuppressant drugs to try to knock down my immune system so that I wouldn't be inflamed anymore. Um, and then they gave me a diagnosis of an autoimmune disease called Takayasus arteritis, which basically just means the inflammation of arteries. Uh, and they said, okay, well, here are a bunch of medications. Hopefully this will work and we'll, we'll just keep monitoring you. And so I did that for about a year uh, in a cocktail of about 15 drugs. And... Uh, it got to the point where it was just rough. You know, I'm like 26 at this point and I just felt like an elderly person, you know, and I, I just didn't want to live the rest of my life like that. So I went back to the doctors and said, Hey, this isn't working for me. You know, is there anything else that we can do to try to uh, fix my issues? And they said, yeah, we can, um, we can try to cut you open and like physically like fix your artery. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's do it. <laughs> you know? And in hindsight, that was a pretty scary thing that I agreed to because it's like one of the most invasive surgeries in the world. They have to like pull out your artery or not your arteries, pull out your organs and rather they freeze your body and they drain a bunch of blood out of the body. Like it's just like really complicated and there's a huge percentage, like 10% of just dying on the table just from complications. Mm. Um, but I did it. And so at, at age 27, I went through this uh, surgery, which they call a pulmonary resectioning surgery. Um, and I, I spent about six months after that recovering uh, and j only to find out that I had to get back on all of those medications because I was just as inflamed as I had been before. And so even though I had this nice new artery, it started getting inflamed just like the old one had. Mm. And so um, <clears throat> so that was it. Like the doctor was like, well, that's, this is just going to be you know, how life is going to be for a while. And so I just went back on all those medications and just kind of continued on for a few years. And then... Uh, in 2010, so about six years ago, uh, I saw just a random blog post uh, talking about this crazy new caveman paleo diet thing that basically you eat like your ancestors and it cures all these diseases. And one of them they mentioned was autoimmune disease. And so hmm. I thought, well, I never, at that point, I never really thought about the connection between food and health. You know, food for me was just like something that I grabbed when I was hungry, you know, and I ate. I, I mean, I loved cooking. I'd always been a big fan of cooking and everything. Uh, and I loved eating out. I loved international foods and stuff, but I never really thought that any of that was healthy or unhealthy. I just kind of ate everything. Um, and so I changed my diet and I'd say within a couple weeks, I started feeling great. And so about three weeks into it, I went to see the doctors. And I said, hey, let's do some lab work. I'm feeling really good. I think that my markers are going to be really great. And so um, they took, you know, took my labs and they came back and they're like, yeah, you're like, you're like back to normal. You know, mm -hmm. not, not even like good autoimmune. You're like back to just not having an autoimmune disease. And so um, I said, okay, well, I want to keep doing this. And um, so initially, they thought it was a drug-induced remission. They thought that finally the drugs that I've been taking for years were working. 
Um, but you know, I, I kept on the diet and I think I proved them wrong over the years. But so over the time, you know, as I got better and better, I just started saying, okay, now take me off this medication. Okay, now take me off that medication. And it took years. I'm, I'm still on one um, medication. It's a low level immunosuppressant, but it's just really, at this point, it's to kind of keep the doctors happy. But um, I'd say after about after about a month of really annoying my friends and family about like how great paleo diet was, I knew, I knew I needed to do something with all this energy. And so I started a blog. Um, and because I loved cooking, you know, I just basically started it as a journal, you know, of just, Hey, this is what I've been cooking. This is what I'm learning as I'm going through this whole crazy diet change. And that just somehow evolved into the, the, the domestic man, which is my website now, uh, where I post once a week and, um, you know, it's all paleo minded kind of foods and after a couple of years of that, um, I got approached by a publisher to, to write a cookbook. And so I wrote my first cookbook, The Ancestral Table. It came out in 2014, and that's all traditional foods. Um, basically looking at the idea of instead of reinventing new recipes using healthy ingredients, let's look at old recipes that already were using those ingredients. And so hmm. that was the premise of that one. And then uh, Paleo Takeout came out last year, and that's the idea of uh, recreating all of those restaurant favorites that we all miss, but in a healthier context. Yeah, and so I keep plugging away on uh, uh, new recipes every week, and um, I'm working on a third cookbook now, but I'm not not quite ready to share that with the world yet. But it is coming, and it'll be out next year. So That's exciting. You're also yeah. a phenomenal photographer, which I think is why your blog has taken off as well, is that you're able to create these foods, but also make them look really pretty. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. that's... Um, that's something that really took, I think of all the things that I've done while working on my uh, blog, that's the one that's taken the most work, you know, because mm-hmm. it's not something I just woke up and said, okay, now I'm a food photographer. It was something that just came incrementally day in, day out, just practicing, you know, researching other people's styles and seeing what I liked and what I didn't like and kind of working from there. Mm. Follow up question. Have you found anybody with your same autoimmune condition and been able to help them through the example that you've set? kind of as changing your diet and seeing these these positive outcomes? Uh, I definitely get people in, uh, writing on the blog that have the disease because it's not it's not like a big famous disease. So right. usually you just Google that disease. My name comes up pretty, pretty quickly. Hmm. And so I get a lot of approach from people. And the thing about the disease itself is it can happen in any number of arteries. And so I've never actually met anyone that had it happen in their pulmonary artery. Usually it's in uh, like the carotid artery or in their, in their arms or something like that. Hmm. But, um, yeah, I've, I've definitely sent emails back and forth with people. There actually was a Takayasu's Arteritis, like, meetup group um, where they have, like, a support group online, and they all decided to have a getaway. And they ended up doing it about an hour from my house here in Pensacola, Florida. Um, but it just worked out. I wasn't able to come and visit them. But they initially, they were going to have me come and, like, make a meal for them. But it just didn't work out. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Stephanie, any follow-up questions from you? You just want to say Russ is amazing. <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> no, I um, I want to hear Russ's opinion on all the cool questions. We yeah, have. let's get into them. Yeah, let's do it. Collagen is the most abundant protein in the body and is a key constituent of all connective tissues. It provides strength and structure to bones, joints, muscles, skin, and hair, and affects our gut integrity and digestive strength. This is why we're big fans of Vital Proteins, which offers 100% pasture-raised collagen products, as well as beef liver capsules. 
Their most popular product, collagen peptides, can easily be added to water, smoothies, teas, and soups for supplementation, and the beef gelatin can be used to make things like homemade gummies or cookies. As a special offer for our community, Vital Proteins is offering a buy two items, get one free discount on their website, plus free shipping. To get this incredible deal, simply head over to vitalproteins.com and use promo code PWP, all caps, no spaces at checkout. Check the show notes for more details about this special deal. Question number one, how do you manage living with a chronic illness on a day-to-day basis when it comes to diet? Do you follow a strict paleo diet? And did you do any sort of reintroduction to see what foods worked and what foods didn't work for you after doing strict paleo for a bit of time? Okay, those are two very good questions. Let me start with the first part of it, well, managing the living with uh, a chronic illness and from a day-to-day perspective. So, um, I, I totally understand how like me just telling my story five minutes ago is a little bit daunting <laughs> because it's like a lot of things happened and then over the course of years I tried all these other things and made a big turnaround and stuff and it, it even when I tell that story like it's me you know because that's not the way I really look at it for me it was a matter of just trying to, to live day to day I didn't feel like I was being brave any of those days you know what I mean I didn't feel like I was had some sort of superhuman will what it really came down to is I, I just didn't want to accept living that way that I was living and at some point I just made that decision that I'm just going to do what it takes in order to live the life that I want to live and sometimes yeah it may take a little bit extra work on your part but for me that was worth it to me just to have that normal life and you know it came down to as a new father uh, wrestling with this disease um, I couldn't like carry my own son when he was about a year old and that just like killed me you know just this idea that I couldn't even do the basic things that a father should be able to do. Um, it, it was it was really tough on me, and so that when I finally came upon that uh, that article that talked about paleo diet, I was ready. I was ready to do that kind of thing. But I had already been struggling with the disease for five years before that. So, in the context of everything, you know, when someone gets a new diagnosis, it's very overwhelming. When they're when they're dealing with just getting through each day. And then throwing on a completely different diet and lifestyle change, that's a lot of information, you know. And so the way I manage it on a day-to-day basis now is completely different than when it was when I first started changing the diet. But I'll say that for the most part, it's really just that getting through one day at a time, right? And then looking back and saying, okay, well, this I kind of messed this up or, you know, I, I really shouldn't have made this decision. But, you know, next time I'll be able to remember this situation and try to work myself out of it. So that's kind of my, my day-to-day kind of approach to things. It's really just, and I, I know I'm not being very specific, but it's really just a, a one bite at a time kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, in terms of following a strict diet or introducing new foods and stuff, um, I definitely, especially when I first started the paleo diet, there was no information about like variety. It was literally a list of eat these foods, do not eat these foods. And I tried that. I did that for about that first month. And I I felt really great, you know, and I really felt a big turnaround. Um, But then I crashed about a month into it and I think was a lack of carbs. Because at the time, the only thing that was approved on the carbs list or of the eat list that was was sweet potatoes. And I got sick of them so fast. And so um, I had a really hard time in the beginning trying to figure out 
that macronutrient balance. And so I started reintroducing foods immediately at that point. And so I started with white potatoes. They didn't kill me. And so I thought, okay, well, let me, let me keep trying with it. So uh, we did white rice and it didn't kill me either. And so I just kind of kept going to find out what worked. And so I found that in terms of carbs, the only ones that worked for me were um, white rice, white potatoes, and corn. I was okay with corn every once in a while. Uh, but things like oatmeal or quinoa or any of those, uh, I did not react very well to. So I, I cut those out, but I, I looked at bringing those else, the other ones in. When you say you didn't react well, what was it that you felt? Did you just feel more inflamed or did you have gut issues? What was that kind of process? Yeah, so it's um, kind of a foggy kind of uh, headachey feel mm -hmm. and then tiredness. Basically, I feel like an hour after eating any of those foods, I was like, I need to take a nap. Right. And that was that was kind of par for the course when I was uh, trying to manage the automatically how often I would need to take a nap. Because I, I would live life in like four-hour increments. You know, I would go to work and try to make it through a whole day and then come home and take a nap and wake up and try to, to face the rest of the day and then go back to sleep, you know. And so um, I found that my need, my need to immediately sleep is usually a reaction to whatever food I just ate. Mm. So. Yeah, that's really smart. Um, so you mentioned rice. Our second question relates to carbohydrates and rice in your ebook. So you have a cool little ebook. It's called the Safe Starch Cookbook. We will link to that as well in the show notes, as well as all of Russ's other wonderful things that he's created. Um, you actually include rice in that cookbook. So is rice paleo? <laughs> it's the big that, question. That is a loaded question. <laughs> so... Um, the easy answer is no paleo is not, or rice is not paleo, but at the same time, it's going to be whether or not you can, um, eat it. So I, I like to think of paleo in kind of two broad contexts when we, when we talk about that word. And so the first one is from a purely historical context saying, okay, what did cavemen eat and what did cavemen not eat? Right. And so, and by cavemen, I mean, obviously people from the paleolithic era. So when you look at rice and its relationship with human beings, uh, rice has been around for, I think it's like over 165 million years, right? And humans have been around for a good 3 million years, 3.2 million years. So rice has been allowed around a lot longer than us. It's so old, the precursor of rice is found in both Africa and Asia, which means that it's, it was around before the continent split. Like that's how old it is. So it, it just makes sense that from a kind of, historical context that humans were probably finding wild rice and eating it whenever they came upon it, right? So it's something that's probably been a part of uh, the human diet for a long time, maybe not regularly, maybe not in all areas of the planet, but no food really was. Um, and then secondly, you got to look at the second idea of paleo, which is, okay, we are going to prefer nutrient-dense foods and we're going to try to avoid uh, potentially toxic foods. And so in that context, too, white rice is a little bit different than the other grains because, because white rice has been polished and the, the outer shell has been taken off. A lot of those anti-nutrients and the other things that you find in other grains are in the brown rice. They're not in the white rice, and that's because they're in that outer shell. Um, so one of the big you know, bad guys with uh, grains in general are phytates and um, just to give you an example, you know, there is more phytates per pound in coconut, in avocado, in sesame seeds than there are in white rice, you know. And so it's all about a balance, you know, finding out what works best for you. And so 
Some people have issues with uh, the nutrient density of white rice because it is not full of nutrients. It's just basically a, a pure starch. Um, but really, I like to think of it as kind of a, a clean slate, like something to work, that you work with. And so, uh, you know, take a dish like paella where it's like rice that's been simmered in a bunch of broth and then you add a bunch of seafood and meat and vegetables and all these other delicious things, fats and whatnot. And you put that all together in that context, I think that rice is probably a pretty good thing to eat. Um, especially when you compare that to like a, a meal that would be technically paleo, but not very nutrient dense, like say uh, a baked chicken breast with some steamed broccoli. Um, so to me, it's, it's all about that kind of context and finding out that balance. Um, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm not here to assert that paleo or that rice is paleo, that everyone needs to eat rice because there's all sorts of other factors involved between, you know, whether someone reacts well to, uh, very carby starches like that, uh, or whether or not somebody, uh, has celiac disease because sometimes it can be a, a gluten cross reactor, things like that. There's, there's a whole spectrum of it, but basically I'm going to say, no, it's not paleo, but I am a fan of rice. Put your team rice. Right, exactly. <laughs> if you're looking for the simple and easy solution for meal planning, Prep Dish is everything you need and more. Prep Dish is a subscription-based meal planning service with both paleo and gluten-free options. When you sign up for Prep Dish, you'll receive an email every week with a grocery store list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. After only one to three hours of prepping on the weekend, you'll have all your meals ready for the entire week. This will save you time, which there seems to never be enough of, and you'll have delicious meals to make like Asian turkey lettuce wraps or cherry pecan baked pears. As a special offer for our community, Allison is offering a free two-week trial to Prep Dish meal planning. Take advantage of this deal by heading over to prepdish.com dot com slash paleo women or check the show notes for more information okay so question number three is from rose i loathe cooking by the way we got many of these questions which was which was i don't like cooking what do i do um i loathe cooking spending more time preparing a meal than eating it just doesn't work for me i prefer simple recipes with few ingredients however doing this makes me feel like i'm not including a balanced amount of protein fats and carbs suggestions and ideas would be great for those of us who are not fans of being in the kitchen too long. Okay, Stephanie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, there's a couple things to this. I think number one is um, I think food and cooking has been an integral part of the human condition since our very existence. You know, humans have been cooking for you know, upwards of a million years with fire. And so that's a long time for us to kind of be in front of a fire and working with our food and all that kind of thing. And one thing that I learned when I was starting to get into the whole paleo thing is I, need, I really needed to reassess my relationship with how I was cooking and how I was approaching food. And so what personally worked for me was to kind of treat cooking as more of a hobby. Cooking, cooking is like a form of kind of therapy to me now where it's like, in the busy hubbub of, of today's life with all of the apps and, and technology and running around, and you can imagine active duty Navy lifestyle is pretty harrowing too. Putting that all together, 
cooking is like my one refuge. It's the place where I can kind of zone out, do those kind of menial, mundane tasks that really result in something that's kind of awesome too. And so that's that's one thing. Is And it's not something that happened overnight. It's something that took a good four or five years of me just kind of practicing and finding that groove, finding what worked for me. So I would say... In the whole context of thing, I wouldn't give up the idea that, that cooking is not for you. I would say maybe it's just something that's not for you yet. You know, maybe 10 years down the line, it will be. Um, but that doesn't help you get through today. And so what I would say for that is that um, you're right in that simple few ingredients is, is much easier to work with. But at the same time, uh, variety is a spice of life, which makes things interesting when you're cooking as well as the fact that, you know, the average American eats like something like 40 foods a year, whereas, you know, a hunter gatherer eats something like a thousand. So I think that that variety in terms of a nutritional perspective is also a very good thing. So I may end up being just grabbing a new spice every once in a while and trying it out, looking at different combinations. Uh, there's a really great book called Ratio, which talks about uh, different ratios of certain things while cooking. And so it's, a, it's kind of a neat way of, of approaching something scientifically where you can uh, just add a, a few things at a time and looking at it from a kind of a holistic perspective of how you can kind of cook. Um, and so I would say ideas and suggestions for, for ways of cooking uh, quickly or making it so that your meals last longer would be, uh, and you've probably heard a lot of these before, but batch cooking, you know, the idea of making a lot of something and then um, portioning it out for later on. And so one thing that we do is we have like a food saver, which is one of those vacuum sealers. So I'll make a big portion of something and then I'll immediately vacuum seal it and then put it in the freezer. So I don't have to worry about freezer burn. It's going to taste really good when it comes out of there. And what I often will do is because those food saver bags are, um, I forgot the right word for it, but they're basically, they, they are, you're able to cook with them. So you can basically just put them in simmering water for like 10 minutes, pull them right out. And they're like perfectly cooked without being overdone. You don't have to microwave them, which usually will give a bad texture. Uh, so that's a really great way of kind of making your food last longer. But I'll tell you what, the, the way that I have to approach things because I am such a busy guy is I only, I only cook one meal a day. And so I make dinner and I make a big enough portion that I can take it in the next day. And I, I'm not the kind of guy who can do leftovers over and over and over again, but I can do it the next day at least, or I can spice it up and maybe leave it for two days from now and make it something, you know, and just kind of, uh, make it kind of staggered a little bit. But that's basically my approach is that I will cook once a day, have that for lunch the next day. And then breakfast for me is always going to be something that's sporadic. Either I will skip breakfast if I'm, if I'm fasting or I will have like you know, a little bit of beef jerky and some fruit. Um, just something that kind of tides me over until I can get to a real meal, which is going to be my lunch. Yeah, those are great tips. I that's kind of exactly what I I do is we tend to cook because I have a husband who eats for like four people and then you have me. We have to te we tend to cook in in really big batches. So on Sundays we'll make a lot of hard-boiled eggs and we'll make some potatoes like we'll roast them and we'll have all this stuff so that like Russ said, we only cook one meal a day. So we have our breakfast taken care of. We have lunch because we're typically eating leftovers because we make double and triple portions of whatever dinner we're cooking. And so that we can actually get in all the food. And then when we come home for dinner, uh, that's the meal that we cook. So we're not spending our entire day cooking eggs in the morning and then having to whip up something for lunch. It's just basically done for us. And then we focus on 
on dinner. Now, we have a lot of easy recipes that we can make, like Steph and I have talked about before, which Steph tends to do every day, which is just put some ground beef in a pan and add some spices. And and I've had a lot of fun actually experimenting with that because I really do love ground beef. But we've experimented with adding chopped zucchini in and then adding chopped pepper and onion in. And so you can really add variety based on the, the vegetable that you put in. And then also, like Russ said, grabbing a few new spices. And that's why I love handing the uh, spatula over to my husband because he typically comes up with these like totally random spice mixtures that I just wouldn't ever think of using and it really gives a new flair a new twist on on ground beef and and sometimes when we work really late or we have something to do we'll have um like frozen food we'll either put it in um storage containers that are good for the freezer um and and we'll pull that out for when we're really busy and we don't have time to necessarily cook so we do have like backup plans but then you know if you just have that one meal at night to cook and you do it together um maybe with a little wine in hand or you know whatever like if you do it together and you kind of make it more of like a family thing maybe you get to teach your kids while you're doing it um it, it becomes a little bit more therapeutic and less of like the burden is all on your shoulders and you've got to get something done and everybody's waiting on you so yeah um, i think it's all good yeah stephanie anything to add well my perspective is (laughs) is like how to cope being a single person who has nobody to care about the food that they make (laughs) so i am i'm very much an eater of uh convenience and expedience and I managed to do so in a way in which my food is is very tasty you know I don't ever make anything elaborate I don't I don't use cookbooks right I don't I don't make a I don't make fancy meals but I will you know throw some vegetables and you know on the stove right I will fry some things I will (laughs) throw a bowl of frozen things right into the microwave (laughs) and then you know, sprinkle some olive oil and salt on them and that's it. And it's great and it's simple, but it tastes lovely, right? Mm-hmm. So there are definitely like techniques, basic cooking techniques that can be pretty expedient and that can still make a totally healthful and totally fulfilling meal. And that's, you know, that's what I do. Um, I use microwaves a lot. I've talked about this a lot. You can cook pretty much anything in a microwave very quickly. Um you know, you can steam things on the stove. You can uh, boiling, you know, uh, certain, I guess we don't do grains, but like quinoa, right? The mm-hmm. safer kinds of grains of rice, these things, you set them and you walk away and then you come back. So they can all be totally efficient within a, a life that doesn't necessarily have or want to make the time. And then like Russ said, 10 years down the road, maybe cooking will be the thing for you, but currently it just isn't. And so that's what I do. And so I would just recommend, you know, there are a lot of really great paleo cookbooks that do this. Talk of, they, they talk about the basic techniques. They show you to make simple sauces or how to fry things, how to work with proteins, how to work with vegetables and fruits and then you have this like very simple range of skills that enable you to um, live and be healthy and have it taste nice russ does your cookbook do that it does so um good segue but (laughs) (laughs) uh so in in the ancestral table not so much because that was more of a collection of kind of traditional food so that's not 
I would recommend that's not a book that you would want to have uh, weeknight meals in. It's more like a weekend project kind of book. Uh, but Paleo Takeout, I kind of flipped that on its head. And so in the back, there's like a meal planning guide, which has a list of all the dishes that can be made in 30 minutes, and then all of the dishes that can be made in an hour, uh, and then ones that you can make ahead and freeze, and then other ones that you basically just marinate overnight and then cook them quickly the next day. And so I definitely kind of kept that in mind too. And I, I'll mention too that when I'm home alone and when I'm, I'm just cooking for myself and I'm not trying to impress anybody other than like Instagram, um, basically – uh, I just make soups all the time. You know, that's the biggest thing I do is I'll throw in some broth, you know, get it boiling and then throw in whatever I want um, in terms of seasoning and vegetables and meat. And, and that's basically the, the kind of meals that I eat when I'm home alone and just trying to kind of get through one meal to the next uh, in the tastiest way possible. For me, that's soups. Love soups. All right. Question number four is from Kelly. What are some strate- strategies to mitigate the emotional and mental stress while dealing with a chronic health issue? At what point should the stress of following a standard paleo diet come second to the stress of sacrificing comforting non-paleo yet healthy foods? This, this is good, too. I think this, this kind of uh, is a good frame of reference for what I was talking about earlier about that whole day-to-day kind of perspective, too. So uh, at the end of the day, I don't I would, I would never want to say that my diet is causing me stress, right? So you have to kind of find that balance. And for me, um, that's going to be uh, finding that kind of mix between cooking at home uh, with the ingredients that I know are going to be like, you know, the best possible organic grass fed, all those things that I can afford uh, or as much as I can afford. And then trying to temper that with just the daily kind of chaos of life. And so there are times when uh, we just are not able to cook something in time. And so we will have like very simple meals like sardines and rice is like my son's favorite meal. Uh, things like that where it's just throwing something together and just to, just to kind of really um, – make it to that next day where then I can try to approach it in a different way. And there's other times where I'm like, okay, we're just not going to cook tonight. We're going to go over to, you know, Wendy's or something like that and just get bunless burgers. And we, and we do that from time to time. As well. So when it comes to uh, mitigate, mitigating that stress of dealing with a chronic health issue, for me, it's, it's going to be that day-to-day kind of approach. What, what do I know? Like, what's the limit that I can exert myself to? It's not going to cost me a lot that next day. You know, I don't want to push myself so hard that I got to take that next day off. Uh, a really good example is, um, you know, I live, I live here in the South and um, we have crawfish boils pretty often. I remember once I went to a uh, crawfish restaurant and we, we, you know, I had like four pounds of crawfish. It was ridiculous, but it was so spicy. And I'm like, oh, I know I'm going to pay for this later. And, but I just pushed myself and I ate it. And I'm not kidding. I had to take that next day off from work. It was so bad. <laughs> so it's like, at what point, you know, do you got to find that balance of, okay, I push myself enough. I'm going to save some energy for that next day, you know, and just kind of working with that. And just kind of every, everyone has a different um, kind of upper limit. I like to kind of reference it as 100%. And so I'll say, you know, my 100% is different than somebody else's 100%. You know, I can only do so much and then I basically have to hand off responsibilities to somebody else. And um, when it comes down to that, living with that understanding of, okay, this is my upper limit. This is my max. This is the realm that I'm, I'm, I'm living in right now. And being okay with that is something that's very hard to accept and something that took me years to kind of deal with. But I think that's, that's kind of a really kind of cool approach to be able to say, okay, I've done enough. Let's see what I'll do tomorrow. 
you know, and then just kind of pick it up and pick it up and pick it up. Today I had a very busy day. I was doing all sorts of stuff from from dawn until dusk, but that's not how it was six years ago. And I kind of have to keep that in context is what exactly was I doing, you know. And there's other times where, uh, you know, I even like last week, I didn't have busy days all, all through last week. There was a day where I basically just vegged out and watched a couple movies. And that's kind of something that happens as well, so... Yeah, I love, love, love that perspective of thinking about the next day. So almost considering what can I do today and then how can I make sure that tomorrow I also have energy and effort to be able to do the things that I want to do in life, whether that's work or just being able to hang out with your your friends and family or if that's just making sure that you're making the right decisions when it comes to figuring out what foods you're going to eat, are you going to cook or not? Like thinking about the next day is really, really helpful when it comes to figuring out what is your, uh, what's your point, as you said, Kelly, like at what point should, um, should we make the decision whether what stress to choose in other words. And so, you know, that point's different for everybody. And so, of course, it's going to depend on how your body's responding, what you were exposed to that day, all that stuff. But if you can think about, hey, what am I? What's going to make tomorrow a, a better day? Um, I think that will really direct you a- accordingly and and correctly when it comes to making decisions that are really helpful for you and are going to help to uh, mitigate stress um, or at least be the lesser of two evils. So, um, Steph, anything to add? Yeah, I. So I've struggled with some mental health issues pretty seriously in the past and then and still now it's a little bit easier to bend on this now. But my rule very quickly became do the thing that mitigates my anxiety the most. So if I was ever faced with with a decision and my decisions weren't around picking which foods to eat necessarily. Um, They were in some respects when I was trying to figure out what was wrong with me, but any kind of decisions that I was struggling with, my rule was, what do I do to make myself feel the most calm, the most at peace? Because I needed that in order to feel slightly normal and therefore be able to enjoy anything else. I found very quickly that if I opted for things that wouldn't, in the short or long term, help me feel calm, but were like fun or an indulgence or something, I I did this thing that took me too far out of my comfort zone, it would have negative repercussions later on. And I know that in the long run in life, we want to be able to be in a place where we can pursue things that are like exciting or new or fun or what have you. But at that point in time, I needed to shelf that and to say, all right, I'm going to focus on the basics here. You know, I want to be able to function. I want to be able to smile and mean it. And so what choice do I make here? And so I think that we can definitely apply that to managing chronic illnesses because what that means is prioritizing yourself and your emotional wellness and making the physical choices you have to in order to support that. So I have a lot of empathy um, for people who, who struggle with this sort of thing. And what I would simply do is just say, like, keep it basic and take care of your uh, literally, you know, take care of yourself in the most logical. This is what's right for me right now sort of way. Mm. Absolutely. I think that's really great. Yeah. 
Okay, last question. Question number five is from Susan. My four-year-old son has cystic fibrosis. He also has celiac disease, so lives a gluten-free life. What are your top three foods you recommend I incorporate into his life? That's that's cool, too. I like this question. So um, I have two sons. One is seven years old and one is six months old. And uh, the seven-year-old was, was a year old when I switched my diet. And uh, so we really kind of... I learned a lot through kind of feeding him and figuring out what really worked for him and what didn't. And so uh, he's he eats like I eat. We basically all eat the same foods. Um, and we've kind of always been doing that since I changed my diet. And um, the thing I found that, that works best for me is kind of looking at uh, what foods does he really treasure? Like what foods does he really, really enjoy? joy and how can I kind of build that more and more into his diet to a point where he is really relishing food and not thinking about what he can't have more about only focusing on really those great things that he can have and so um, I really lucked out in that Oliver uh, who's my oldest son really loves seafood and so I think that was probably the biggest kind of advantage I've had is that he loves he loves canned sardines he loves clams you know he loves playing with the shells and all that kind of stuff too um, he likes eating crab if someone else crack it, you know, um, he likes shrimp and all those other kind of foods, which also happen to be some of the most nutrient dense foods out there. And so, um, you know, we'll go out and eat sushi is kind of a, a, a great kind of pastime that we'll do and things like that. Um, so I would say seafood would definitely be one of those top three foods that I would try to incorporate as much as possible, you know, and, and, and seafood is such a wide spectrum of things between, you know, that farmed salmon that you can get at some grocery stores, which probably is not very nutritious compared to something like fresh packed canned sardines, which are wild caught, uh, sustainably caught, um, and very nutrient dense. Um, so that's one food. I put seafood on the map for that. Uh, two is going to be um, whatever food is very comforting to them. So Oliver, for example, is not a big fan of like mashed potatoes. He'll eat them, you know, do mashed potatoes and gravy and he'll have them from time to time. But for him, it's uh, rice and it's not just white rice. He likes to have it cooked. He likes to have it cooked in broth or like made like in risotto or paella or just all these different ways of kind of incorporating all these other kind of delicious foods together. We make fried rice all the time which I make with like a lot of fish sauce and a little bit of tamari, which is a, um, a little bit of Chinese cooking wine, and then lots of lots of leftover vegetables and meats and stuff like that. So I would say just finding those comfort foods would be number two. And for Oliver, that happens to be rice, which we end up cooking with a bunch of other uh, great tasty ingredients. And that third one is going to be whatever um, kind of treat they really enjoy. So for example, Oliver doesn't really, it doesn't even, at seven years old, it doesn't really register in his head that there are other desserts besides like fruits out there because basically <laughs> that's that's it. You know, after a meal and he's like, oh man, I, I really like want something sweet or whatever, it's always going to be fruit, you know, and we have just a ton of different uh, kinds of fruit between plums and pears and apples and whatnot. And we say, okay, what do you want for, uh, for afterwards? And sometimes he doesn't even ask for it, you know, and so he won't get a dessert that day. But if he is really looking for something, then we'll get him fruit. And so we'll do that. And, you know, he's still, he, he doesn't have to still let him like, you know, if we're at a birthday party, or whatever, he will have a birthday cake with the other kids and those kind of things too. But at the same time, you know, for school and whatnot, we, we pack in those gluten-free snacks for him. Um, so those are the three that I would kind of add is, is going to be that seafood, whatever comfort food that may be for that, that child. And I'll tell you that, um, 
that in general, you know, uh, Carbs in, in a very kind of unprocessed way are pretty good for kids. You know, kids uh, tend not to really overeat too many carbs when they're in a very kind of healthy context. Uh, and then the third would be those uh, fruits you know, or whatever kind of treat that works well for that child. I love that you just answered that question from the perspective of like what's going to serve the child mentally and emotionally and going to make them feel like they have a choice in making the decisions about what foods they eat. Like instead of just thinking what are the three most nutrient-dense foods that exist, it's more like, hey, let's get buy-in and allow um, our children to participate in the cooking process and to enjoy these savory things and to enjoy their favorite foods. So I'm sure, Susan, that at the same time, you're you're mostly controlling what your son is eating because, right, you're the one cooking it and it's probably somewhat paleo and gluten-free and all that stuff. Um, it's really important to still also give your kids the ability to feel like they have some sort of control or or like uh, opinion when it comes to the foods that they get to eat. And if they're cooking with you and they get to see how things are made and they um, ha- are kind of given the palate, you know, like the, the variety of foods, um, they'll be able to choose all the different foods that they like. You can definitely educate your son on Hey, foods are meant to make your body feel um, strong and capable and it's going to make you, you know, run fast and, and you know, uh, do well on your test and it's going to be really good for your brain. So I think talking about foods in that way is really important as well. And then also, you know, giving your, your child a variety of foods, introducing a lot of foods multiple times and then and then seeing what it is that he likes um, I will have to say to Steph, I, I don't know what you would choose for your top three foods. I'm guessing, though, that liver would probably be one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Steph That's is like funny. all the liver all the time. Yeah. we um, Oliver can't do liver. He just, he can't, he must have taken that from me because I have a hard time eating liver <sighs> as well. But um, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you. There are definitely times where Oliver will have made, you know, and, and we don't make kid food or anything like that. He eats what we eat. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I'm like sitting there. I'm like, come on. I'm a New York Times bestselling cookbook <laughs> author and you won't eat these like, you know, this braised kale that I made or whatever, you know. And so those things happen and it's fine. I think kids are very um, resilient. And so sometimes, you know, I'll be like, hey, this is your meal. This is what you're going to be eating today. And he'll be like, OK, I'm not going to eat today. I'm like, OK. And then, you know, he makes up for it with a really big breakfast the next morning or whatever. And that's just kind of putting that control a little bit into his hands as well. You know, we're putting the food in front of him, but what he does with it is going to be up to him. Yeah. Yeah. Is cystic fibrosis an autoimmune condition? Do we know that one yet? Uh, I know what I know what it is. It's a condition with the lungs, but I'm not sure if it is autoimmune related or not. I had a a childhood friend who had it. Um. uh, I'm not totally sure. Uh, jury's yeah. out. Um, I would recommend also, Susan, maybe looking into just the autoimmune paleo approach. What um, that that may be something. There may be really healthful foods that tend to cause reactions, and that's the only reason that I say that. And then also. Um, I think Terry Walls, she has uh, MS, was diagnosed with MS, and she has a really amazing book called The Walls Protocol that may be worth reading just to educate yourself um, on, you know, what it's what it means to live with a chronic disease and just nutrient density as a whole. Um, and then I would say get the book Paleo Takeout because apparently there's a lot of good meal planning stuff in there too, <laughs> which is really helpful. Um 
any uh, thoughts, Stephanie, that you want to throw in before we sign off today? No, I thought that was wonderful. Wonderful. Definitely Team Russ. Thanks. We are the team. We are the team, Russ. Great questions, great answers. Please go buy Paleo Takeout, especially a lot of you who had all the questions about the meal planning and how to cook quickly. I think all the things that you're looking for are in that book. Um, We'll also link to all of Russ's stuff, all his other books in the show notes. Please go get his stuff because it's awesome. Um, You can find more from Russ at thedomesticman.com. You can find more from Stephanie at paleoforwomen.com and Nina Well at coconuts.com and kettlebells.com. We will talk to you next week. See you guys later.